0: Welcome to the GeoMob Podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Welcome back, friends, to another episode of the GeoMob Podcast. Here on the mic is Ed Freifogel, and I'm joined by co-host Stephen Feldman. We thought we'd do a quick episode kind of updating on uh, some news in the industry and the geo-industry and just our general observations of what's going on. Stephen, how are you? I'm good, Ed. How are you? Good, good. We're getting into spring, slowly but steadily. So, you know, progress seems to be happening on the vaccines and stuff. So, you know, maybe, maybe
1: a recovery is happening. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. I maybe. think that's probably the right the right assessment of the whole situation. So it's been a busy few weeks in Geo whilst we've been off doing other things.
0: Yes. And first and foremost, I guess we should talk about our very own GeoMob, which we had on uh, February 23rd lots of good talks yep. i enjoyed it we had a very good turnout lots of new faces actually in the audience that that i hadn't seen before of course some of some old timers as well but i enjoyed all the talks but the two talks that stood out for me was where mike hall who was a second time speaker presenting he's a cartographer and kind of freelance map maker and he had really beautiful images that he showed us of his maps and talked about his design process so i'm hopeful we get him here on the podcast in in the near future and then also, of course, the the winner of the Splash Maps Prize was Richard Hawthorne, who uh, makes Train Tracker, which is a very very cool product where you can in real time see on a circuit board how the the tube network is is working. So, and he has agreed to come on the podcast as well. We'll probably do that at the end of the summer, kind of in the lead into Christmas. So,
1: right. I really enjoyed both of those. Mike's cartography is fantastic. The way he draws from sort of maps that were made a hundred years ago and looks at the styling of those maps and then translates it into a modern format. It's just fantastic. And I said on the chat whilst uh he was talking to Ken Field, who's a big fan of Mike, how amazing it is the amount of white space that he leaves on his maps. You know, they're not cluttered. They're absolutely beautiful maps. So yeah, that was a great presentation. I really enjoyed that. And I also love Train Tracker. Yeah. I'm trying to decide which one to order before I order my first one, but I think it's pointless because I'm going to end up buying them all and having them lined up on my desk. I know it's going to happen. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, hopefully we can get in. I, I actually, Lynn, later in the breakout rooms, we were talking a little bit about uh, the whole the process of how they assemble them and order them, you know, the, the parts and things like that. So. Hopefully, we can go into some of that on the uh, on the podcast. So, and we have another podcast. That'd be great. We have another uh, GeoMob coming up, March twenty fourth. Yeah. So, if anyone, if you're not yet signed up, please do sign up and uh, see you on March twenty fourth. We have a we have another good lineup of of speakers doing all kinds of different interesting things.
1: Looking forward to it. And I think it's interesting. You said we had a lot of people on last Tuesday night, and I thought that we might be getting to the point where. Zoom fatigue would set in, and people just couldn't be bothered. But actually, that doesn't seem to be the case. You know, people want a short fix of geo, see a few friends, see some interesting things. Formats really working well.
0: Yeah, um, I think we'll have to see once we can have in-person events again how we how we balance that. Because I know I'm ready to get back to an in-person event, but but yeah, I think the online. You're right, and and we we get people from all over the world, which is cool. And yeah. So we'll see how we go, but but yeah, let's see how it goes on the twenty fourth. So great, okay. So what else do we have to talk about, Stephen? What kind of news have you seen here? It's been a busy few weeks,
1: news wise in geo. You know, where should we start? I think probably the biggest news for you and me was the hundred hundred millionth change set yes. on OSM. I mean, I think that's quite an amazing. Record to reach, and somebody was mapping the change sets as they appear. I, yeah, I um map.
0: the very cool visualization. I watched it live, and he uh, yeah. he it was super cool because then, you know, you see all the change sets going, and then all of a sudden, when it hit 100 million, confetti confetti started running down the page. And uh, it was yeah. a cool little Easter egg. But then what else was yeah. cool was, I mean, first of all, the change set was kind of in rural Senegal, which was nice because it was very random. Obviously, the, the change set before that was, you know, probably in Asia somewhere. And the one before that was in Europe or whatever. The location of that change set, it's a village in rural Senegal. And on Google Maps, it's empty. It's missing. So, yeah. so very fitting.
1: Yeah. And that brings the point, I think, you know, that OSM will map places that commercial mappers may choose not to make to map you know there's not much advertising revenue there's not much in car navigation in a tiny village it's it's not on a
0: road it's just kind of on a dirt path so yeah but yeah big milestone Pretty cool. big milestone
1: yeah what about you bit of news
0: related to that though as osm keeps growing and the community keeps growing and the global coverage we see more and more national mapping agencies freeing up their data which i don't know if that's Just in response to OpenStreetMap or what, but we've had several announcements along those lines. Like today, we're recording on the 1st of March and the Swiss topographic, Swiss topo, they're called the Swiss National Mapping Agency has announced they're giving all their maps and things away for free now. There are some license restrictions around it, but it's at no cost anymore. So that's a big development. And I know the the people in OpenStreetMap Switzerland are working on um, how to integrate it and how can they tweak the license so that the data can be imported? But even if it can't be imported, at the very least it can be used for data correction and things like that. So right. and then of course some news from the from India, which India has now legalized mapping. Previously, I guess it was illegal to walk around with the GPS device and record things because of you know is deemed to be some sort of national security issue. And I have an interview lined up in just a few short weeks with someone from the Indian Mushroom community who's gonna give us a big update on that. So we'll go into depth on that there.
1: That'll be cool. When you speak to that, that person, guy or girl, can you ask them also whether the changes in legislation relate cover the, the depiction of the boundaries in the northern part of the country?
0: Yeah, well I guess obviously we'll get into that. That that yeah. is an issue, sure.
1: Previous- Certainly previously, it was illegal to show maps that didn't have the official Indian boundary stamped on them. So that would be an interesting one. Just going on in that vein, and this is sort of riffing off OpenStreetMap a little bit, Ordnance Survey, the UK's Ordnance Survey, had just launched their outdoor mapping app, which they've had in the UK for five or seven years now. They've just launched in Australia. Which was pretty weird for those of us here that um, our National Mapping Agency is now providing hiking and walking maps of Australia. When you dig into it a little bit, what's even more interesting is there's no ordnance survey data, obviously, because they don't map Australia. So what they've done is they use OpenStreetMap of all things as the sort of zoomed, the most zoomed out layers. And then they've done deals with the Australian state governments, which are the mapping agencies in Australia, to get more granular detail as you zoom in. So it's a combination of Australian state data and Uh, OpenStreetMap in a hiking app that Ordnance Survey have built, which allows you to get recommended trails and all that sort of things, you know, the typical outdoors app. But it's an interesting... Is, is
0: this their their first use of OpenStreetMap publicly? Do you know?
1: I think publicly. I'm not sure whether they've used OpenStreetMap in any way in the UK product as a reference, as a change indicator. I don't know. But just like you in India, I jumped on this and I reached out to the people at Ordnance Survey and we'll be doing a podcast with them in a couple of weeks' time. And maybe we can dig into that at the time. I mean, we were the primary purpose is to talk about this Australian app, why they did it, how they've done it, but maybe we can actually see what that might mean for the UK as well. So yeah, that's an interesting one. Well, yeah,
0: very interesting because obviously OpenStreetMap originally started in response to Ordnance Surveys restrictive licensing. So it's kind of we've we've Indeed, We've come is. full circle. We've come full circle. So
1: and and one of the consequences of that was that the UK was one of the first national mapping agencies to release a lot of very high quality open data. We have they haven't released what they call the crown jewels, the master map, but uh, you know the other stuff that is open data is phenomenally high quality. You know. um,
0: well, you know, I've had a long running discussion here with with Raf in Barcelona who from he was a guest here on the podcast i think one of our very early episodes and he he works at the Catalan National Mapping Agency and i've always said yep, there there that. is there must be a niche for so these mapping agencies they have a lot of skill uh, and a lot huge amount of credibility of course particularly someone like the Ordnance Survey which is known worldwide but the big commercial challenge i see for them is that by focusing only on one country you know, by definition, more and more consumer applications are made globally to spread the cost of engineering like and and so if you're going to build something globally, you're going to use OpenStreetMap or or let's say a Google or someone like that, like you're not going to use the number of applications where you need the the perceived perfection of the local national mapping agency. Is smaller and smaller and smaller over time as a machine map gets better and better. And so, you know, I think the national mapping agencies increasingly fall into the smaller and smaller niche things that are just for their frankly little country. In the sense, I mean, all countries uh, are little countries when you compare it to the world. But so there must be a role where you take the credibility and the expertise of a national mapping agency, and you combine it with the dynamicism of, of a street map, and I, I think that there must be some sort of commercial opportunity there. Whether the national mapping agencies have the, have the remit to go explore that is a different question. But
1: Well, ordnance survey going to Australia would suggest that at least one national mapping agency is in a very small way, but they they that. have done things internationally um, before,
0: haven't they? I mean, many countries don't have their own mapping they, agency, right? So
1: they've done they've provided yeah, exactly. consultancy services in the Middle East and various places to advise on effectively setting up a national mapping agency. This is somewhat different, and I think just if, on that topic, uh, Eurogeographics, which is a sort of an association of the European National Mapping Agencies. I don't know, it's 20 or 30 national mapping agencies. For a few years now, has been producing European-wide maps based on a sort of conflated version of the national mapping products of of its members. And I think it's perfectly, it's quite possible that national mapping agencies, through an agency like Eurogeographics, with the, or with the lead of one or two mapping agencies, could conflate their products to provide high-quality, continuously updated products that had global coverage but were based on national mapping agencies, collection systems, and quality control systems. And that would be an interesting product in the market because it would have that currency and, and all of that. And, um, and you're quite right. It could involve a cooperation with OpenStreetMap. Yeah. Back in the day when we were running, Jeremy Morley was at Nottingham University and I was there as well, and we were running the OpenStreetMap GB thing. We had ideas and discussions about how could Ordnance Survey incorporate something from OpenStreetMap, you know, change detection, for example, and the whole range of things. Never went anywhere at the time, but I think it's still maybe probably learned. Well in I the think backside. the idea
0: was right. Maybe just the time was a bit too early. That that would be, and, Yeah, and now I think OpenStreetMap is kinda of caught up. But so, so yeah we've also had so yeah, give us give well, us your next topic. What do you got?
1: Well well, let's finish with OpenStreetMap. My last OpenStreetMap one that I spotted was Damon, who are a fantastic cartographic and map design house in the States, went public on the work that they've been doing for Facebook. We can put the link to their poster in the show notes. What's interesting to me about that was they were talking about the cartography and the design of the rendering of of OpenStreetMap for Facebook, and uh, the map is going to be integrated into nearly all of, o- of Facebook's map-related things. So, where your friends are, where restaurants are, all of that yeah. sort of stuff. The cartography was designed so that it would support the sort of house styling and appearance of the Facebook pages and site. Yeah, and they've done a really neat job with that, and. Um, and again, we've got Stamen coming on the show in a few weeks' time to talk to us about cartography and all the work they've been doing over a long time with OpenStreetMap because they've been supporting the community, I think, for a decade They've, they've or had more.
0: many, many fantastic designs there, a uh, watercolor map. Several years ago, yep. and um, yeah, they, wow. they were always doing very interesting stuff. But but yeah, well worth reading that article to getting into the specifics. Sp- and also, of course, this raises the the interesting question of when it rolls out on Facebook. Long running uh, discussion in the community about how Facebook interprets the attribution to OpenStreetMap, and it's kind of a sore point with many people. But you know, we'll see, we'll see. But nevertheless, hopefully, it also draws more and more people to OpenStreetMap and. It certainly provides another point of validation that, that it's possible to, yep. to build a very nice, comprehensive product uh, worldwide using Facebook, uh, using OpenStreetMap. So,
1: full credit to them. It also puts, you know, that's a massive number of OpenStreetMap views that, are going, that people are going to have. You know, I mean, you've got 2 billion people or some ridiculous number of people who use sure. Facebook. But even if they only use it periodically, they're now all going to be using OpenStreetMap.
0: Well, I mean, I think one yeah. one point that's yeah. that's often underlooked is I I think the team at Facebook actually does quite a lot for OpenStreetMap. Um, I mean, of course they're mm. they're gold corporate members of the foundation, but but also I mean, with all of their tools, their map with AI and things like that, you know. And, and I, I've reached yeah. out actually to some people from the Facebook team to try to get them here on the podcast so we can talk about that, but. No success just yet, but uh, but who knows? Maybe someday we'll get them on. Okay. the Google Maps, let's on this let's one talk about occasion. Google Maps. So they also did some design oh, tweaking okay. recently.
1: Yep, they did. They've been doing some interesting stuff using AI on their satellite imagery layer. They've been able to detect pedestrian walkways, pavements, footpaths, uh, I guess. and also certainly in the u k. They can detect what we call zebra crossings, you know, pedestrian crossings, which have got those yep. stripes on them, which are very, you know, even in satellite imagery, you can see those things. So if you're interested, and particularly if you're not from the UK, have a look at Trafalgar Square in London. And if you go around Trafalgar Square, zoomed in quite deeply, you'll see in the map layer the um, pedestrian crossings across the roads actually mapped, now mapped out in the map layer and you'll also see the pavements are a slightly different colour to the roads so that you can distinguish between them. And I guess what this means is that um, they're gearing up to do some interesting stuff in pedestrian routing. because Currently, pedestrian routing is pretty much the same as vehicle. Yeah. Vehicle route. Yeah,
0: I think this update was probably needed. I haven't I haven't seen it myself yet. But Google Maps has gotten a bit cluttered, you know, when they have all the particularly on a phone, they have all the, the shops and the restaurants and things. And I was talking with someone about this last week, like very often, I just want to see the name of the street. And they don't show you the name of the street, they show you everything on the street, but not the actual name of the street. And it actually makes it fairly difficult to use it for navigation which is my primary use case. So I think a refresh mm-hmm. was needed or a rethink was needed. It's hard. I mean, you have limited space and you have a lot of information you want to convey. And, and so they have my sympathies, but something they need to improve it somehow.
1: But the next generation of maps will have more understanding about your intention. And we'll then be able to render the. Right you would hope thing. so, but
0: I mean that's the type of thing where it either works fantastically or it doesn't work at all. <laughs> you know, where it it shows you exactly the wrong thing at the wrong time. But but we'll see. The thing about those kind of things is you don't notice when they're mm. working, right? When it works, you just take it for granted. But when you but when it doesn't work, yeah. it's really obvious. So yeah, it's very hard. It's very hard. I mean, you know, trying to build a product, a limited space different information in all different languages, all different contexts, different cultural expectations. It's a challenge. So good luck to them.
1: I have. I think actually, if you, I was just going to say, if you talk about cartography rather than map making, map making, you end up with everything on the map because all of the data appears on the map. The skill of a cartographer is to present the information that you need in a way that's clear for you to see. And you know maybe as we solve all the challenges that we have solved about real-time data, about accuracy of data, and all the other stuff that we've done now in mapping, cartography will come to the fore in terms of how do we present this data in effective ways. I hope so, oh, so as well.
0: hope so as well. I mean, I think on the whole, everyone's getting better you rapidly. I mean, when you look at the Facebook design, you yeah. look at Google Maps, you look at even Apple Maps gets better and better. You know within open the openstream community, more and more people are doing very cool things for different use cases. So so everyone can learn from everyone else and and uh, the big winner is us as consumers.
1: So what have you been listening to apart from the? Oh, right. Oh, okay,
0: yeah, that we should talk about that. I listen. I, I,
1: you do listen, of to the course, podcast, religiously, don't
0: you? Stephen. Well, there there are two <laughs> two geo podcasts that I've been a long time listener of, and that would be the Mapscaping podcast, um, and we've had Daniel here as a guest on this show, and I really recommend everyone check that out. It's he has done he's taken kind of a different direction over the, I guess the past year or so, where his his episodes are much more about different technologies or kind of career paths within within the geospatial industry, and both are excellent. He has very good guests. He had an episode a couple couple weeks ago with the guy from the U.S. Coast Guard or Oceanographic Service or something about underwater mapping, how they map the, the oceans, the ocean floor. That was fantastic. I learned quite a lot from yeah. that. Anyway.
1: I listened to the episode about leadership and mentoring that he recorded a few, couple of weeks ago. And I can't remember who it was with, but it was really brilliant. Uh, and anybody who is in a leadership role in geospatial or in any other industry should listen to this because it's a really yeah.
0: He's Yeah, he's had uh, some great guests and, and good conversations. Then the other one, of course, is Seen From Above, if you're at all into Earth observation. They also do a, a very good news roundup of what's happening there. Um, and then interesting guests talking about different projects. But there are two new podcasts that kind of appeared on my uh, radar over the, over the last week, which might be of interest to our listeners. So one is called TerraWatch which it's not, it's not so much about geo as it, it's about space, the space industry. But with that obviously includes a lot of satellites and Earth observation type stuff there. And actually, the very first episode was with Joe Morrison, who works in that industry. So he gives a very, very interesting overview of the Earth observation uh, space. So that's an episode well worth listening to. And, and I've subscribed to the podcast and we'll see what, what comes there. Uh, And the next one is one that I just discovered actually um, just today. So I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. It's called the Africa Geospatial Conversation. So it's about the geo industry in Africa. So if that's of interest to you, check it out. I'm going to give it a try. You know, It's fun sometimes to listen in on topics that you're not that well informed about or to follow people on Twitter who are doing things and and where you can kind of just get a dip Dip your toes in that industry or that that region, or and under kind of understand what the issues are there. So I do that quite a lot. I, I I listen to a lot of different things, and then you know after a couple episodes, if it's if it's no longer relevant for me, then I unsubscribe. But but sometimes I keep going with it. And It's an interesting way to to learn. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next time. Bye. Great talking to you. Bye. Thanks everyone for joining us today and listening to the GMO podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is geomob. You can follow Stephen at Stephen Feldman, You can follow me at Fryfogle. You can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode and, of course, seeing you at a future GeoMop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.